Chapter Twenty Six of Esther Reed's Namesake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Six: The Nest Egg. Nor did the trouble in the Tenth Street Church quiet down as the days passed. Mrs. John Potter, being a woman of her word and being anxious that all her friends should so understand, could not help talking about it. And as she talked, she made allies. Not intentionally, that is, she did not mean to make trouble. But it is so natural to enter into detail with one's friends, and to expend some effort in making one's own side exhibit its perfect reasonableness, that Mrs. Potter could not help making converts. There were some, of course, who cared about neither missionary rallies nor church debts, but who scented trouble, and, being by nature eager for stimulants of this kind, contributed what they could to keep it brewing. Before that summer was over, Pastor Evans, whose wife kept him posted as to the unrest in his parish, told her privately that it would have been better for him to have paid the fifty dollars out of his own meager salary than to have such a state of things, and no one could tell whereunto it would end. To the uninitiated this will seem an almost incredible story. They will find it hard to believe that for so slight a cause an entire church was being made more or less uncomfortable, and was even in danger of an actual schism. Only those who have tried for years to bake and boil and broil and fry and eat a church debt out of existence are capable of entering into the feelings of the aggrieved persons. Mrs. Potter had not exaggerated her share in the effort. She had toiled early and late, in season and, in the opinion of some, out of season to get rid of that debt. The original debt was $3,000, and by dint of really heroic efforts in the shape of fairs, festivals, sales, suppers, what not, by dint also of the sacrifice of something more precious than time or strength, namely feelings, two thousand dollars and interest had been earned and paid. This through the years, remember. With the closing supper of the season, Mrs. Potter, the time-honored treasurer of the ladies' aid, had confidently resolved upon placing fifty dollars in the bank for what she called a nest egg for the last thousand. One twentieth of the whole, she told herself gleefully, when she awakened at daylight to count the gains before they had been made. She had set her heart upon fifty dollars, and her judgment had verified her heart's desire. Fifty-three dollars and sixty-five cents clear gain. But alas, only the miserable little sum of three dollars and sixty-five cents for the nest egg, after all, is it any wonder that the poor woman's temper, as well as her courage, failed? She had been through many trying scenes, and borne fairly well many burns and stings. She knew, wise woman that she was, that these were almost inevitable accompaniments to their methods of getting money, and had set her will to endure. But the assessment had been the historic last straw, which made trouble." It was on a pleasant afternoon in spring, just a month after the church supper, that Mrs. John Potter sat in her willow rocking chair beside her open south window and grimly surveyed three silver dollars, two twenty-five-cent pieces, a ten-cent piece, and a nickel. At her feet lay an open letter that she had but a short time before received. It was from the secretary of the ladies' aid. The annual meeting of that august body had been held the day before, and for the first time since the Tenth Street Church had in existence its time-honored treasurer, Mrs. John Potter, had failed to be present. 
they had re-elected her as treasurer, despite her resignation, which had been sent in an hour after the assessment was voted. They had also written her a humble letter, expressing their sorrow that trouble had occurred, and that they had, for the first time, felt compelled to go contrary to her advice. They begged her to overlook this inability to see the matter as she saw it, and not to desert them in what was without doubt a crucial period in the history of their church. Believing that after prayerful consideration she would see her way clear to withdraw her resignation and give them, as heretofore, the benefit of her splendid business abilities, it took the liberty of enclosing the surplus funds of the organization, feeling certain that they would be managed with the care and wisdom that had always characterized her work. Mrs. Potter had met her postman at the corner, and had opened and read this letter on the way home. Her first impulse had been to throw the money into the river, on the bank of which she was walking, but she had been a conscientiously careful woman with money all her life. Every penny that helped to constitute the snug sum payable to her signature, she had helped to earn and to save. The impulse to save met and checked that other momentary impulse, and her second thought was that the money was not her own. She had not even that degree of right to throw it away. At first it vexed her unreasonably to think that she must take care of it for a time. They think, she said aloud, still with contemptuous eyes on the three dollars and sixty-five cents, that I can be coaxed and complimented into going at it again, and will break my back and burn my fingers a few years more for the sake of raising money for the church fathers to assess. If they really haven't found it out yet, I think in time they will understand me to be a woman of my word. I'll have to keep this money, though, until they elect a successor." After much thought, Mrs. Potter, who was not often called upon to write other than friendly letters, concocted and sent the following terse epistle. To the Ladies' Aid of the Tenth Street Church I am sorry to learn that you wasted your time yesterday, and so have no treasurer. I supposed you knew that when I said I resigned the office, I meant that I resigned the office, and that no more words need be wasted on the subject. But since receiving your letter, I have been reflecting that perhaps no woman can be found in your organization who is willing to handle so heavy and important a sum of money as you enclosed, and I have therefore decided to deposit it in the bank where I do business, in a separate account, of course. More than that, since you kindly urge me to reconsider, I am willing to meet you halfway, and I will therefore give you my word of honor that at such time as that sum, namely three dollars and sixty-five cents, shall have reached the sum of one thousand dollars, the face of the debt, payable to my order, I will have pleasure in drawing a check for the same and bringing it to you. Moreover, if you at that time desire it, and I am not too aged for active service, I will then resume my duties as treasurer of the ladies' aid. Until that day comes, however, I must be distinctly understood as having nothing whatever to do with the organization." I decline to help in the earning of any monies for debts or assessments, or in the care of any monies earned by it, always accepting the aforesaid munificent sum of three dollars and sixty-five cents. Respectfully submitted, Mary Potter, Mrs. John Potter, former treasurer of the Tenth Street Ladies' Aid. And that good woman, who was in the mood to be grimly pleased with her letter, had no more conception of the fact that her father in heaven was at that very time arranging to turn her sore-hearted obstinacy into account 
in the interests of some of his dear servants, then you and I realize that in his goodness and greatness he sometimes allows even our waspish tempers to work out for others some blessed result, so verifying his promise to make the wrath of man praise him. But it needs to be remembered that Mrs. Potter would have been a better and happier, as well as more useful, woman, if she had been willing to let the master use her virtues instead of her faults to accomplish his ends. The long, warm summer passed, and the first week in October, the date set for the great missionary rally, came, and found the first church in festive array and crowded, even in the mornings, to its utmost capacity. In the evenings, the committee of arrangements was compelled to open other churches and have simultaneous meetings. The enthusiastic were loud in their enjoyment of these gatherings, assuring one another that nothing so helpful to the cause of missions as this mammoth convention had ever before occurred. It was a wonderfully inspiring thing to see and hear for themselves some of those grand field officers who had given their lives for the cause. Still, there were some who refused to hear for themselves, and persistently held aloof from all the activities connected with the rally. Most prominent among these was that woman of her word, Mrs. John Potter. She had declined to open her house to guests, assuring the committee that she had plenty of friends to entertain, and did not need to take in strangers. When she set out to be benevolent, she preferred to give to those who needed, instead of to people who had homes of their own, where they could stay if they had not means enough to travel. She did not suppose she should attend any of the meetings. She could read in her missionary review all that she needed to know about missions, and a good deal more than she was able to put into practice. She believed in being practical. It was therefore the fourth day of the convention before Mrs. Potter found herself so situated that she could not escape the meeting. One of the friends whom she had professed herself as always ready to entertain came from her home, twenty miles distant, to spend the day and attend the convention. She was not acquainted with the city, and had come in the expectation of being attended by her friend. She explained that she was a master hand at getting lost, and that the last words her son had said to her had been a caution about venturing out alone. Mrs. Potter, who had other plans for the morning, saw no way but to sacrifice herself, at least in part. "'I'll take you in and see that you get a good seat,' she explained, as they reached the first church. "'And then, while they are singing a hymn, I'll slip out and attend to my errands. Some of them are quite important. I can get back, though, in time to take you home with me.' You wait at the front door if I'm not there the minute the meeting is out, but I shall be. They have very long meetings, hardly ever close on time. But for the fact that a woman in front of the seat she chose immediately waylaid Mrs. Potter and kept her whispering about the library association during the singing of the entire hymn, that good woman would have carried out this program and slipped away on her errands. As it was, she was caught. A vote had been taken at the library, and she herself had been assigned some work in connection with it that she did not wholly approve, and while she was intent on explaining this, the hymn was concluded and the speaker for the morning announced. It embarrassed even Mrs. Potter to think of marching down that long aisle in the face of the great audience while someone was speaking, and with the mental hope that he would make his story short, she resigned herself to wait for another break in the program but the speaker for the hour was the Reverend Spencer Randall, 
and there was one man on the program committee who knew him and had arranged that he should have as much time as he wanted. He has a story to tell, he said, and he knows how to tell it. I heard him last winter when I was west. Mr. Randall made good this statement. Before he had been speaking for ten minutes, his audience all over the great building had settled back with that look on their faces which says as plainly as words, Go on, brother, by all means. Talk just as long as you choose. You couldn't please us better. There were those in the audience who had known the home missionary through the years, and they said one to another when the service was over, Did you ever hear anything finer than that? I have heard him before, and I knew he would be fine, but he was at his best this morning without doubt. As for Mr. Randall, he was never able to give a very clear account of that morning's work, beyond the fact that he said a good many things which he had not dreamed of saying when he began. He had sat up late the night before, talking with the kind of man whose species should be obsolete, but unfortunately is not, a man who contended that home missions were in these days unnecessary burdens, that the men and women who lived out west and up north and down south, at the expense of the boards, could teach their churches to be self-supporting instead of everlastingly appealing for help if they chose to do so and were willing to economize as most of those had who sent their money to them. Then in the morning had come a long letter, a joint production from wife and child, and Mr. Randall's heart being fired with zeal for the honor of his master's cause and tender with memories of home and his treasures and their environments, what wonder that he could talk! He had been east long enough to realize the stupendous ignorance that prevailed in some localities with regard to the present condition and present needs of home mission fields, and he had determined that, if it lay in his power to make it plain to them, at least one audience should understand. End of chapter 26 Recording by Tricia G.